Now, we never sometimes feel like we live in a stable world. Everything seems to be chaotic and changing constantly. It never stops changing, it seems. As soon as you think it stopped changing, it changes again. Uh, so it's, it's difficult to face instability. Uh, sometimes uh, you have relationships with people who are uh, not stable. And that's difficult. I heard of an emotionally unstable man who went into a 7-Eleven. He was emotionally unstable and he picked up a Snickers bar. Good taste, right? Picked up a Snickers bar, went to the counter. And yeah, mine's on. Can y'all not hear anything? Hello? 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 Yeah. Hear that? I can put it in my mouth. Would that help? How about that? Is that better? All right. Shh. Okay. So, (laughs) just kidding. Just kidding. I hope it's not my grandbaby. I'm in trouble. All right. So, because, of course, my grandbaby's the best. I'm sorry. But... Uh, so he, he bought, he wanted to buy a Snickers bar. He picked up the Snickers bar, goes to the counter and he lays down, the guy says a dollar 29 he lays down a $20 bill. Remember, he's emotionally unstable and the clerk says, uh, well, that's too much. Are you sure? And he says, yeah, I don't like change. So that's, it's a long way to go to get that, but we live in a world of a lot of change, uh, in, the sat, let me see, let me try this, how's this, so we let, do you hear now? Yeah, is, is that, is that what I need to do? So we, we kind of live in a world that's got so much change that it's disturbing to us, but I heard of a place, it's called Pozzoli, Italy, you ever heard of Pozzoli, Italy? Have they cut me down now? No, Pozzoli, Italy, they say that they have four thousand trimmers a year. Four thousand. It is considered the most unstable place on earth. Four thousand. I don't think they've been to America. No person is exempt from shaking. No person is exempt from instability. I don't care how peaceful your life is, there's going to be times of instability. And that's why one of the reasons we sing that song on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So, for the gospel to last, you've got to understand, that's the environment we live in. And for the gospel to last, we need to know that it is our responsibility, not only to teach a sound gospel, but to make sure that it is duplicated to the next generation beyond us. It isn't just my responsibility to have my little share of the gospel. It's my responsibility to make sure the next generation has its share of the gospel. Second Timothy 2 in verse 2 it says, The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And that's our job. So we need to live it. We need to believe it. 
but we need to share it. 2 Timothy 2 verses 14 and 15 says, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It is our duty to not just live it and believe it, but to remind others of it. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 14, uh, 10 through 14 says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. And by the way, it requires a careful following. You have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, love, perseverance, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. It's not enough that you got it. You got to keep in it. And then you got to share it. And if you become lax about that, listen to this one. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 2 says, I charge you. This is before the Lord. I charge you, therefore, before God. God's a witness to us. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. And this is our duty, not just Timothy's duty, but our duty. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That's when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. That's our duty. So it is incumbent upon us to not just have the gospel and not just make sure what we believe is sound, but to convey that to the next group. So we're going to look at three parts of Behold the Pattern. They're all in your lap today, so it's not really new. We're just going to notice each part and underline it so that you can get it simply. So I want you to consider that we are to hold the pattern of sound words. The reason I underline that section is because it's kind of a different word in the Greek, this word, in some of your Bibles, will say uh, form. It'll say hold to or retain the form. It actually has two really strong meanings. One is the word sketch. And so there's a sketched out pattern of faith in Christ. As if somebody took a pencil and drew a picture rather than wrote it out. It's like a drawing. That's the reason he says, hold fast this sketched out pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So the idea is, is that the faith in Christ has had a picture drawn of it. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul said that before your very eyes, I portrayed the death of Christ. We have those sketches in your mind. Every time somebody gets up, they portray something. It's like a drawing. And so, faith in Christ has been portrayed to you in many ways, in many times, in thousands of Bible classes and sermons, and in your own reading day to day. So that example of Christ and what he did is a sketched out pattern of our faith. 
That's what we believe in. Let it not be misunderstood. What we believe in is not all of the bitsy pieces that we all have to agree on. What we believe in is Christ Jesus. That's why we try to figure out all the bitsy pieces. But the second thing in this thing is the outline. The second meaning is not just the word sketch, but it has the meaning of an outline. So just like you've ever outlined something or you uh, lay somebody's hand down and drawn around it, it's that kind of thing. But it also carries with the idea like an outline of a, a theme you're going to write. So it's supposed to be the outline pattern of love in Christ. Because he goes on to say, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love. So the critical thing is not just that Christ died for you, but that you understand that the Spirit is urging you to love. That that's coming through the Spirit. The Spirit has poured love into our heart. John three sixteen. for God so love the world. The reason we get along as well as we do, even though we don't always get along, is because of the love that's been poured in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Without that, we wouldn't like each other very much. So, hold to the pattern of sound words, and that pattern is the faith in Christ and what He did for us and the love that's been poured into our heart. The second truth I want you to see that we're to hold on to is to hold to the pattern of sound words. Now, a lot of people think that sound words means just doctrinal hardline stuff. What the word actually means is healthy. If you're of sound body, you got a healthy body. If you're a sound mind, you got a healthy mind. It's just the meaning. The basic meaning is healthiness. But what I want you to understand is what a healthy mind in Christ is like. Sound words on ungodliness. You should think straight when it comes to ungodliness. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 9 through 11, Paul again talking about sound doctrine says this, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. God didn't make rules for people who wanted to do the right thing. But for the lawless, people who don't want to do the right thing. And the insubordinate, people who don't want to be told what to do. For the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, verse 10, for fornicators, that's people who sleep with each other, who are not married to each other. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. If you're not married to someone, you are not to do that. For sodomites, that refers to young men who are homosexual prostitutes. For kidnappers, you should know what that is. That's when somebody steals somebody. Old Testament says they decide that they deserve death. For liars, that's a big thing. Yes. For perjurers in court, lying in court, that's a big thing. And if there is any other thing that is, listen to these words, contrary to sound doctrine or healthy doctrine. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, here's what I want you to see. If you are trying to follow the sound words on ungodliness, then here's what's going to be true of you. 
you're going to have a contrary spirit to ungodliness. If you're not contrary to ungodliness, you're not trying to be godly. That means you are supposed to be in a fight with it. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 11 and 12 says, We wrestle not with flesh and blood. I'm not in a fight with any individual, but I will fight what they say and what they teach if it's ungodliness. Amen. And if you're not in that fight, you don't understand what sound words will do. Sound words stand against lying. Amen. And sound words stands against any kind of ungodliness, whether it be moral or whether it just be breaking the law of the land. So that's what we do. But not only do sound words on ungodliness, and we have a contrariness to it, but wholesome words, which also means the same thing, wholesome words of godliness. The flip side, not only do we stand against, we stand for, we consent to. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 to 5. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words. I'm teaching the pattern here, folks. You need to know what you stand for. Wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus. So you really want to know what the real wholesome words are. Is what Jesus taught. And the, the doctrine which accords with or consents to godliness. Then if you don't like godliness, what's the truth about you? He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, revilings, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain, from such, withdraw yourself. Here's the truth. Second Corinthians 3, verse 18, makes it very clear. We're to have the same image. We're to be transformed in the same image. That means that we're all to end up thinking alike. That means we are all to consent to wholesome words. That means that we are all to be on the side of godliness. That means we ought to be preaching it to our kids, whether they like it or not. We need to be preaching it to our world, whether they like it or not. So we need to stand against what is wrong and consent to what is right. And that's what following the pattern of sound words does. Are we doing that? It's not in vogue now. But are we doing it? Number three. He says, hold to. These are all his words. None of these are my words. Hold to the pattern of sound words. Some of your versions will say retain. Some might say keep. Some might say follow. But it means to hold on to it. Held by the what? By the truth of Christ Jesus. He says, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me, Paul teaching it, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So literally, we are to preach what he preached, hold on to what he taught, that it is the truth. It isn't a truth. It is the truth. Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What's our duty? 
teaching them to observe some of the stuff that Jesus taught. What does it say? Some of the stuff? Teach it all? All things? And then he adds this word, whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So it is our duty, not only to hold on to the truth, but hold it in such a way that we are the ones who are proclaiming the truth of Christ Jesus. And then he says, kept by the good of the Holy Spirit in this verse. Verse 14, he says, that good thing which was committed to you, which is the word of truth, committed to you, kept by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. So not only are we to teach it, we are to model it. We aren't just to teach what he taught us to teach. We're to live it. The Holy Spirit should be shown out in us and good work should be the norm. People ought to look at you and say, that's a good man. That's a good woman. This business about that not mattering, folks, that's the only way anybody's going to ever believe anything we say. They're ever going to come to it. So you have to hold to the pattern of sound words. Here's what I'm really driving at. Convictions convince. I don't know if you've got that, but I hope you get that before I'm through here in just a minute. Convictions convince lack of conviction also convinces a letter written by a relatively new believer uh, the person had really influenced their life and they wrote him a letter they talked about a dozen qualities that they were impressed by and then she concluded with this talking to the person that had influenced her more than anybody else she said You know, when we met, I began to discover a new vulnerability, a warmth, and a lack of pretense that impressed me. I saw in you a thriving spirit, no signs of internal stagnation anywhere. I could tell you were a growing person, and I liked that. I saw you had strong self-esteem, but not based on the fluff of self-help books, But on something a whole lot deeper, I saw that you lived by convictions and priorities and not just by convenience or selfish pleasure or financial gain. And I had never met anyone like that before. I felt a depth of love and concern as you listened to me and didn't judge me. You tried to understand me. You sympathized and you celebrated with me. You demonstrated kindness and generosity. And not just to me, but to other people as well. Listen to this. And you stood for something. You were willing to go against the grain of society and follow what you believed to be true. No matter what people said. And no matter how much it cost you. And for those reasons, and a whole host of others, I found myself really wanting what you had. Here's the point. It was that conviction that convinced. If you believe anything and everything, you're not convincing anybody of anything. Nobody's going to ever obey the gospel if you don't believe it. Nobody's ever going to become a member of this church if you barely think you ought to be here anyway. 
If you, you're not that interested in what we're doing, you're not going to reach anybody. All you are is just kind of in a club. But if you are convicted and convinced, you will convict and convince. Are you willing to risk anything? No, let me ask that different. Are you willing to risk everything? Then show your convictions. I've been full-time preaching now for 40 years. But my first sermon was 51 years ago. 51 years ago. In the next few days. My first sermon. In that time, I preached between 4,500 and 5,000 times. Do you believe? Do you believe? Are you holding to it? Are you holding to your convictions? Four scholars were arguing over the Bible. They were talking about the Bible. And the first one said, uh, well, they all wanted to tell what their favorite translation of the Bible was. First one says, well, you know, I love the King James Version. I mean, a king put that together and it has such eloquence. It's my favorite version because of the beauty and the eloquence of it. The second guy said, you know, I think that's beautiful, but my favorite is the American Standard Version. Because if you read the American Standard Version and you read the Greek, you know that the American Standard Version is the most accurate translation of the Greek. And so it is. The third guy says, oh no, I like some of these other versions. One, for example, I like the Moffat Version because it has really unique use of words and uh, turn of phrase is really good. Somebody, the fourth guy had been sitting there, he hadn't said anything at all. And he is still thinking. Finally, he said, you know, I have personally preferred my mother's translation. And they all kind of laughed. And he said, yeah, she translated it. She translated each page of the Bible into life. And it was the most convincing translation I ever saw. You see, if it's in you, everybody sees it. If you are truly convicted, everybody sees it. And everybody knows. Be the pattern of soundness. Hold to the pattern of sound words. Hold to the sketch, the outline that's been laid out in Scripture. Hold to what Christ showed us on the cross. Hold to the love that He's given us. The faith that we have. Hold to it. Don't, and be a godly person. Stand for godliness. Stand against ungodliness. That's what we're called to do. If we lay down for anything, we don't believe anything. So if you've never really believed, repented, confessed Christ, been baptized, you ain't got any conviction. Because you, if you'd been convicted about it, you'd have done it. But you have a chance to make that change. You see, that's a decision. Convictions are not something you were born with. It's something you choose. And you can choose today to have some convictions. Some may need the conviction to come forward, rededicate their life. Some may need the conviction to just come forward and ask for prayer. Some need the conviction of being willing to get wet today 
and repent of their sins and confess Christ and be baptized. But you have to show your convictions. Don't just tell me what they are. Show me your convictions. And you can do it now while we stand and while we sing.